Welcome to The Q Word, a podcast about the tips, trends, and taboos of emergency nursing, where we pull the hospital curtain back on issues that emergency nurses and their patients often think about but seldom talk about. You found the Q Word Podcast. We are up. Hello, Nisa. It is a new podcast episode. How you doing? Good. How are you? We're doing. I'm doing good. We have something uh, that I know nothing about that we're going to talk about today. So I'm kind of excited for you to teach me as we go. Yeah, we're doing an airway episode. Airway. Okay, we've done some airway stuff in the past. Yeah, this is airway in the trauma bay. Oh, got it. All right. So what airway are we talking about and why? Should I care? <laughs> We're <laughs> okay. Uh, we are not poets. Um, we are going to talk today about supraglottic airways. Mm-hmm. Supra, super, supraglottic. Supraglottic. Yes, okay. above the glottis. Oh, okay. Uh, some sometimes also called extraglottic airways. So you'll hear me use that interchangeably in our episode. Extraglottic, <laughs> supraglottic. Okay, so in anticipation of this episode, I looked this up just to try to figure out what the glottis was because I, I was familiar with it from like linguistic studies because I took a class on linguistics once. So the glottis is what we commonly call the voice box, but for the purposes of this podcast, the glottis is the passageway for air between the pharynx and the trachea. And the trachea is basically the wing and pipe, windpipe. So it's the fold between your vocal cords that allows you to make noise and to right here. Uh-huh. <laughs> Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, got it. I see it very clearly. Thank you. Um, so the superglottic airway, some examples of a superglottic airway would be the king airway, um, a laryngeal mask airway, often called the LMA an eye gel, which has become very, very popular okay. in my practice area. That's the one we see most frequently. I actually have the, the um, King Airways, what we use on the helicopter, but what most of our ground services that we pick up from use the eye gel. And then there's another one called the Combi Tube. Those are really kind of falling out of favor, um, but they're still mentioned oftentimes in articles and in the literature. So I feel obligated to mention the combi tube as well. Maybe some folks out there are still seeing them or using them. So an airway is a tool that you guys are using. Right. That's right. Okay. So it's not necessarily something we've already got that you're opening. It's a tool that you're using in order to create an opportunity for a patient to breathe if they have an obstruction of some sort. Exactly right. Okay. Um, So in order to discuss supraglottic airways, I'm going to use the SBAR format. And okay. SBAR format is a communication tool that we use in nursing. Our listeners will be very familiar with it. It stands for Situation, Background, Assessment, and Recommendation. And it's the communication format that we use uh, when we give each other report oftentimes. It's also what we use if we have to call a physician and um, explain a change in our patient or ask for some new orders, something like that. We use SBAR. So you're going to start by telling me what the situation is. Yeah, and one small caveat, this episode is kind of a narrow scope. It's very nuanced, and it probably 
applies mostly to the advanced trauma provider, and it is also a little bit self-indulging. So I hope that our listeners will just kind of go along with me and indulge me in this because this is my current clinical hill to die on. Oh, okay. All right. Come along with me, everyone. (laughs) All right. I'm putting on my hiking shoes and I'm ready to go up this hill on this very narrow airway topic. Thank you so much. All right, bring it. So So, here is the situation. Situation, yeah, got it. So you have a patient who has arrived in the trauma bay with a superglottic airway in place. Um, And you are probably, if your practice area is like my area, you are seeing more of these superglottic airways rolling in um, in the trauma bay. You might also be seeing them in the resuscitation bay. And the reason for that is because recently, within the last three to four years, we have had two large international randomized trials. Um, that is the Airways 2 trial and the PART trial that show that the supraglottic airway device um, may be preferred over intubation in the out of hospital cardiac arrest. Um, oh. So these studies showed that when you had a patient who had arrested, in in the outside world, um, that putting in a, a supraglottic airway really quickly um, was as good as intubation uh, or better in some cases. Now, we're not talking about out-of-hospital cardiac arrest right now. We're talking about trauma patients. But So what's happened is that information has leaked out and practitioners have realized, well, if it's good enough for cardiac arrest that we get ROSC in, it's probably good enough for trauma patients. The other factor that's happened is that we've gotten the superglottic airway products have gotten better and better. Um, and one of those is the eye gel. People either love them or hate them, and a lot of practitioners really love them. So the product has gotten better, and these two large international randomized trials have shown that in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, these work okay. And so I'm beginning to see this practice where uh, EMS providers are coming upon a really sick, very seriously injured trauma patient, and oftentimes it's catastrophic head injuries, and they are popping in a supraglottic airway and then moving them on to the level one trauma center or to the nearest facility. So I'm seeing more and more of them rolling into the trauma bay or into the helicopter with a supraglottic airway in place. There's your situation. Okay, so we've got patients coming in with more and more of these things in place, and your nurses may or may not know what to do with them. Here's the background. Okay. You have um, what I would consider three categories of airway management. You have very basic airway management, you've got advanced airway management, and you have definitive airway management. Okay. So in the category of basic airway management, that would be simple things like repositioning your patient, okay, just like opening up their airway, Um, monitoring your patient, putting a pulse ox on them, putting supplemental oxygen on them is a basic airway maneuver, putting in a nasopharyngeal airway, an oral pharyngeal airway, uh, CPAP or BiPAP, Um, bagging them is a basic life support measure, so that falls under basic airway maneuvers. Advanced airway maneuvers would be placing a supraglottic airway or performing a needle crike. And then definitive airway would be endotracheal intubation. So intubating someone, putting an ET tube in the trachea, so a correctly placed endotracheal tube, that's a definitive airway. 
a surgical airway, that's a definitive airway. So those are your three categories of airway management. Historically, the supraglottic was used as a safety net. It was used when intubation had failed. Um, so it was really only used in failed attempts. Um, but we had these trials that showed maybe we should be using it first attempt. And that's where this shift has happened in thinking. Just as a little side note, in the OR, supraglottic airways are often used um, in very short operating procedures. They'll just use a, a, a supraglottic airway. Um, those patients are at very, very low risk of aspiration because they knew they were having surgery and they were instructed not to eat or drink anything for many, many, many hours before the surgical procedure. So their stomachs are empty, they're not at risk for aspiration, um, and so it's very safe to use a supraglottic airway for their very short OR procedure. That's just a total okay. side note. It doesn't have to do with the trauma bay. Okay. So our background is that typically the supraglottic was a, a rescue airway for a failed intubation attempt, but it has shifted and we're now using it maybe as an initial airway intervention. So is that because like futzing around trying to find, trying to intubate a patient can, instead of struggling with what might be a difficult intubation, just go ahead and get that airway open by putting the supraglottic in. Yes, especially then down the line, you can worry about right, it. Right. Especially the sicker or the deader, like those out of hospital cardiac arrests. Um, what hasn't changed and what hasn't shifted is the management of that supraglottic airway when they roll into the trauma bay. And that's what I want to talk about today. Okay. What is your assessment? Um, I want to read a quote from the literature, and it says, because of the unique features and deployment in critically ill patients, rapid reflexive removal of a functioning extraglottic device without a well-considered plan may lead to aspiration, hypoxemia, loss of the airway, or all three. Oh. And I would add, even worse things can happen if you just reflexively pull that supraglottic airway out when your patient rolls in. Okay. So you have been around emergency nursing long enough to know that when a patient initially rolls into the trauma bay, we begin a, um, a very orderly assessment. We call it the ABCs, right? And we go down through a mnemonic that begins with ABCs. Do you remember what the A stands for? Airway. Yes. Yes, airway. airway. That is exactly what I was going to say. That's right. And some practitioners mistake that to mean a definitive airway. But airway actually means an open airway. And a correctly placed supraglottic airway checks that box. Got it. And that's what people are missing. And they are reflexively removing in a very, very critically ill trauma patient they're removing a perfectly patent supraglottic airway, um, wanting to put an ET tube in, which is the definitive airway, in a patient who has no reserve. So let's talk about that. If a patient comes in with a supraglottic airway in place, the first thing we need to do is make sure that it is a good supraglottic airway because they can be misplaced 
and they can not form a good seal in all cases. They may not form a good seal. So um, we do need to assess to make sure that it is a good patent airway. And okay. we're going to first do that with waveform capnography. So you're going to pop an end title on there and make sure that we do have a good waveform. And then you're going to assess for chest rise and you're going to assess your patient's lung sounds. If that's good, then you have good ventilation. The next thing that you'll check is your oxygenation. If oxygenation is not great, then you're going to do the same interventions you would um, if your patients uh, otherwise. You will do increase their FiO2, so increase their oxygenation up to 100%, and maybe add some PEEP. Um, you can do some quick interventions like consider decompressing um, their stomach with an OG tube. You can also consider positioning. We've talked about reverse Trendelenburg for our really large patients with big stomachs that may be pushing up on their lungs. And then we also need to look at their hemodynamics. So if you have a pulse oximeter on a patient's finger and they have no volume because they're bleeding, they're not going to have a great pulse ox. That's not an oxygenation issue. That's a volume issue. Okay, so you can give them all the oxygen in the world, but if they have no red blood cells to carry that oxygen around, it's not an oxygenation issue. That, that putting an ET tube in is not going to fix your pulse ox. Got it. If they don't have enough blood to carry the oxygen around, then they're not going to have a good reading. That's Got exactly it. right. So, but let's say that's not their issue. If oxygenation and ventilation are fine, then the exchange of that superglottic can be deferred. And the quote from the literature says, until competing clinical priorities are addressed. At one large trauma center in the research that I found, uh, they'll do radio radiographs, they'll do chest, abdomen, pelvis, x-rays. They will even send them to the CT scanner for pan scans with a good superglottic in place. No problem. Um, there are some situations where the superglottic should not stay in place. So if your patient has high plateau pressures, they're going to need to go to interventional radiology. They're going to need to go to the cath lab. They're going to need a TEE, which is a transesophageal echo. You can't do those things with an, uh, a superglottic in place. Those are mostly going to be medical patients, but every once in a while you will have a trauma patient that needs to go to IR. You will need to do an exchange. If you have decided that your patient needs the superglottic airway exchanged, um, you're going to need to use your, your difficult airway predictors. Go ahead and assume that this is going to be a difficult airway. That superglottic was placed there for a reason. So at the QWORD podcast, we use... Oh, can I say it? Yeah. Can I say it? Yeah. The heaven protocol. Okay, I'm so proud. We love... I remember. Yeah, I'm so proud of you. We love the heaven difficult airway predictor. So use your HEAVEN criteria. If you don't know what that is, we have multiple episodes where we have discussed the HEAVEN criteria. Um, so use your HEAVEN difficult airway predictor and go ahead and plan on this being a difficult airway. So you need to come up with a plan A, a plan B, probably a plan C. Okay. Uh, the literature shows that King Airways, Combi Tubes, and LMAs can stay in for two to four hours. Other um, superglottics, which would include the eye gel, can stay in even longer. So if it's well-placed and it's oxygenating and ventilating, there is no emergency to get it out. 
So why would you, after four hours, need to take it out? Let's say, what, what would be the causing factors that's like, this needs to come out now, it's been in too long? Is it a risk of infection? Does it degrade? So um, because it's held in uh, with sort of a suction, sort of a forming a seal that mm-hmm. you would start to break down, like a pressure ulcer type deal. Um, and there is a risk of aspiration. There's also a risk for dislodgement. So you would want to move toward a more definitive airway. Got it. Okay. So there would be some times when you would be uh, preparing to exchange the superglottic. Um, If it is not oxygenating or ventilating well, then you would need to decide, does it need to be exchanged urgently or is it more elective? Okay. Um, if it's not oxygenating or ventilating adequately and cannot be rapidly, those things cannot be rapidly corrected, then it needs to be removed and you need to be prepared to bag your patient so that the oxygenation and ventilation issues can be stabilized. Um, even have someone prepared for a surgical airway. That needs to be in the plan in case this intubation does not go well. If ventilation is fine, but oxygenation is not, we sort of alluded to this earlier, then consider the patient's underlying condition. For instance, their volume status. Um, Intubation is unlikely to change their oxygenation status, okay? In fact, it will likely worsen it. So anticipate if your provider has decided to pull the supraglottic and intubate on a poorly oxygenating patient, anticipate rapid desaturation upon the device removal Rapid desaturation leads to things like bradycardia and hypotension and arrest. So these are things that you do not want to have happen to your patient. So um, poorly oxygenating patients uh, and pulled superglottics are not a good combination. And there are criteria in place for what to, to do if you anticipate rapid desaturation. Yes. Yeah. So you need to you really need to um, either remedy, you really need to remedy the poorly, the poor oxygenation before you pull the supraglottic. You really need to figure out why is it that they are poorly oxygenating, um, if you can, if at all possible. Um, Be prepared to intervene as soon as that supraglottic is pulled. Okay, all right. There was a great article about um, the management and pitfalls of superglottics specific to the pediatric population, but it really applies to all uh, populations. In this case, this was published in the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Practice Journal. Mm -hmm. And um, pitfall and tip number 10 says, well, the patient arrived with a superglottic in place, so I removed it to place an ET tube just because they came in with a superglottic, no other reason. Mm -hmm. And... um, the tip underneath says, although superglottics have a greater risk of dislodgement than an ET tube, it would not be prudent to remove a working advanced airway in an emergent situation. If physiological parameters like pulse oximetry and waveform capnography are within an acceptable range with a superglottic in place, the patient should be stabilized prior to removing or replacing the superglottic. There it is. Let, let's normalize that. Right. <laughs> okay. So, um, so 
The final piece of our S-bar would be our recommendation. So what are we recommending at the Keyword Podcast? There's been this very nuanced pivot in the use of superglottics. What hasn't pivoted along with it is the management of the superglottic when the patient arrives into the ER. That's what I'm asking nurses to advocate for. When your patient comes into the ER, before providers and trauma teams just reflexively pull superglottics, let's do a full assessment of our patient. If this is a patent airway, let's look at breathing, let's look at circulation, particularly hemodynamic status in a trauma patient. Do they need volume? Do they need blood? Before we pull this supraglottic and tip them over into really, really bad places that they cannot recover from. So how do we go about advocating as nurses? We're not the one that orders the supraglottic to be pulled. We're not the ones doing the pulling. We're sort of the witnesses to it. Um, We're sort of the collateral damage to it. So I can think of a couple of ways. What about you? Um, I mean, I suppose talk to your team, make sure that your team is fully educated on the on the pitfalls that come with removing it, the fact that it doesn't have to be removed right away. So this is a practice, right? Yeah, I think that's the best way. So I think that in real time, when the patient rolls in and you recognize someone's about to yank it on a hemodynamically unstable patient, and it could potentially tip your patient over into someplace really bad, that's not the time to say, no, please wait, stop to a trauma attending or a trauma resident. It's not the time to throw yourself across the patient's body, um, although that's quite admirable, unless you have a really amazing relationship with your trauma team. um, In real time is not the best way to handle this scenario, um, I think. So I think your approach is much better um, preemptively. So this is something that I would recommend educating about ahead of time. Um, I think this is something that you handle in your multidisciplinary huddles. Talk about this in a staff meeting, do an education presentation um, to the ER provider leadership that they can then take to their staff meetings. Maybe this is something that you put on an educational board. Maybe this is something that you discuss in a debriefing. Maybe you have a journal club at your facility. You could bring up some of these articles that we're going to put in our show notes. So I think the, the, the key is to handle it in a collaborative style. Um, hopefully you have relationships with your trauma providers and your, your physicians where you can approach this in an educational way, in a, in a proactive way. Um, I've just seen this enough times go poorly that um, I wanted to talk about it. So mm. here we are. So basically, don't remove the Band-Aid until you know that <laughs> you've got a viable, more permanent solution. Yes. And we, were, we are all stipulating that a superglottic is not a definitive airway. It is, in fact, a bridge. No one's arguing that. But... Leave it alone if it's working well until you've addressed bigger issues um, that that uh, could be really, really problematic if you don't address them first. All right. The Heaven Criteria is already up on our website, but we uh, will put a link at least to that particular episode 
with this show notes. Mm -hmm. And then we'll throw up some of the literature as well so that you guys can refer back to this. Thanks for indulging me, everyone. I appreciate you. Uh, We are here to indulge you. Folks, if you have any questions, please hit us up uh, by sending us an email at the the keyword podcast at gmail.com. And you'll find the show notes for this on the keyword podcast.com. And if you find this interesting, of course, we would love it if you throw us a five-star rating on YouTube. Not YouTube, on (laughs) iTunes. (laughs) We don't have a presence on YouTube. Don't go there. You won't find us. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much for this, Nisa. This is really informative. Good. I'm glad you liked it. Talk to you next time. All righty. Bye. Bye. And where is the glottic? Where is the glottis? The glottis is in your airway. Okay. Um, well, like high up, is it way up? Like it's not a nasal thing. It's a throat no, no. thing. Yes, yes, yes. It's in. Okay. <laughs> Listeners, she's making desperate motions. Do I have to remind you that this is um, not a visual medium, I... Nisa? This is a so, um, medium. Yeah. They can't see where you're pointing. A hundred percent know this. <laughs>